boys and girls. This is Miss Kathy. We're in the middle of the Christmas season, and we thought we'd bring you some stories from Guide's Greatest Christmas Stories. After the Christmas season, we'll be returning to our regularly scheduled shoebox mystery books. Christmas is a special time of year, a time to celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, who was born in a stable. Shepherds, after being serenaded by angels, rushed over to find the baby lying in a manger. Wise men, carrying gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, followed a bright star until it led them to the baby king. What about you? Will this Christmas bring you closer to Jesus? I hope so, and I hope that the Jesus of Christmas will live in your heart throughout the year. Helen Lee Robinson, Editor Because of Lisbeth by Temple Bailey Christmas Day was always the same as any other day to Judge Blair. He lived alone ate his Christmas dinner alone, and never gave presents. He cared for nobody, and of course, nobody cared for him. It was Christmas Eve, and the judge was staying late at the office. A Merry Christmas, Judge, said Miss Jenkins, his stenographer, as she prepared to leave at five. The judge looked up from his papers and stared at her over his glasses. What's that? Oh, thank you, Miss Jenkins. But he did not return the holiday greeting. At 6.30, a waiter from a nearby restaurant brought in a light supper. The judge often ate at his office when he had an important case at hand. It saved time. A Merry Christmas, sir, said the waiter, when he had arranged the tray in front of the old gentleman. Hm? Oh, ah, uh, yes. You may call for the tray later, George, acknowledged the judge. George departed crestfallen, closing the door a little harder than necessary. The judge read over his legal brief while he ate, pausing now and then to pick up his pen and make corrections. Suddenly, he sat up straight and looked around the room startled. Now what was that? he murmured. Tap, tap, came a sound against the glass pane. Tap, tap, tap. The judge rose and, going to the window, lifted the shade. There was nothing to look at except the narrow space between the building that housed the judge's offices and the big public school next to it. Only darkness met his impatient eyes. Then out of the blackness appeared the end of a long wooden stick, which hit the window pane twice while the judge watched in bewilderment. Who's there? asked the judge, trying to pierce the darkness with his eyes. "'It's me,' said a very small voice. "'Who's me?' demanded the judge. "'Lisbeth.' "'Where are you?' "'In the schoolroom. I've tried and tried to get out, but I'm locked in. I've been here all afternoon.' The tiny voice sounded as though tears were on the way. "'What?' exclaimed the judge. The child's answer came in a rapid mumble. "'Yes, sir. I came back to get my books, and the rest of the girls had all gone home, and I suppose the janitor thought everybody was out and locked the outside door. I knocked and knocked, but nobody heard me.' "'Why didn't you call out before?' "'I tried to, but I couldn't make you hear until I thought of the pointer.' "'Well, well, well,' said the judge. Then he lit a match. "'Lean out a bit and let me see you.' The flame revealed a pale little face with earnest blue eyes and blonde hair. "'Why haven't your people looked you up?' the old gentleman questioned as the light went out. "'I haven't any people,' sighed Elizabeth. "'Only my older sister. She works at Roby's Ribbon Counter, "'and she won't get home for a long time because they don't close till late on Christmas Eve.' "'Hm,' said the judge reluctantly. "'I guess I must look after you.' Going back to his desk, he picked up the telephone receiver, then put it down, and returned to the open window. "'Are you hungry?' he asked. "'Awfully,' replied the little voice in the darkness. "'Why didn't you say so before I ate my dinner?' questioned the judge. "'I couldn't make you hear, you know.' 
Well, there's nothing left but some crackers and an orange. Oh, an orange, Lisbeth's sigh was ecstatic. Do you want it? Oh, yes, thank you, she said, wondering why he would ask such a silly question. The judge went back to his desk and emptied the dish of crackers into a large manila envelope. Placing the orange on top, he pinned the flap and tied a string around the bundle. Hold out your pointer, he directed. When Elizabeth had stretched it across the chasm between the buildings, he hung the package upon it. The little girl pulled it slowly to her. Does it taste good? asked the judge, hearing the crackle of the paper. Oh, yes, indeed. It's a delicious orange, perfectly delicious. Hmm, said the judge again. But this time there was a hint of a smile on his old face as he went over to the telephone, called up police headquarters, and gave a brisk order. They'll be up in a minute to let you out, he informed Elizabeth as he came back. Now, I've got to work, and you'd better shut the window while you wait. It's very dark, quavered the little voice. The judge was reminded of a time in his past when a little boy would say at night, It's dark, father. Stay with me. And the judge had stayed, holding the little clinging fingers until the child slept. But when the child grew to be a man, he had married a woman who didn't please the judge because she was poor. Although she was sweet and good, the old man had hoped for greater things for his son. So the son had gone away. Ever since, the judge had shut his heart to all tenderness, but now this little girl's voice awakened memories. The judge's tone was gentle when he spoke again. Are you afraid? It's dreadfully lonesome, was the wistful reply. It's nice to have you to talk to. Oh, is it? said the judge as his hard heart softened by the minute. Well, you should wrap up if you're going to stand there. It's freezing cold. Oh, I didn't think. Elizabeth's tone was worried. You'll take cold, sir. You'd better shut your window. But the judge refused. I'll put my overcoat on and pass Miss Jenkins' sweater across to you. So while the important court case waited for review, the old man and the little girl sat at opposite windows while the snow came down faster and faster between them. The judge's office was brilliantly lit, and Lisbeth could see every expression of the old man's face, but the judge could see nothing of the child. Her voice seemed to come from out of the night. While they waited, Lisbeth told the judge how her older sister had taken care of them both ever since their father died, and how Lisbeth kept house when she was not in school. She ended by telling him that she had saved $1.25 to spend for Christmas presents, and she was going to buy a pair of gloves for her sister. "'And what will you get for Christmas?' asked the judge, interested in spite of himself. "'Oh, my sister will give me something,' said the child cheerfully. "'It'll probably be something useful, like a dress. "'But I won't get toys or candy. "'Things are so expensive, and she had to buy food for Christmas dinner, too.' "'You see,' Lisbeth continued, "'we're going to invite the McGaffneys on the top floor.' They're awfully poor and have four children. We're going to share our pumpkin pie and our potatoes and gravy with them. At first we thought we wouldn't ask them and have enough for ourselves for once, but Sister decided that Christmas was the time to make other people happy. Of course, agreed the judge, feeling very small indeed when he thought about his gruff reply to Miss Jenkins and how he had sent poor George away without even a Christmas wish. On and on chatted the little voice in the darkness, filling the judge with more human emotions than he had experienced in a long time. "'I shall have to eat my dinner alone tomorrow,' he confided. "'Oh, you poor man!' cried the little girl. "'Maybe we'll have enough. I'll ask my sister.' But before she could finish her invitation, a loud knock echoed through the building. "'They've come,' said the judge. "'Now stay there until they come upstairs and get you. "'Don't go stomping around in the dark. "'I'll go down and meet them.' 
and out he vanished, leaving Elizabeth to face his lit window alone. Soon lights flooded the hallways, and a minute later, Elizabeth was surrounded by two policemen, the janitor, and a half-dozen spectators. "'Murphy, you'd better take her straight to the station,' one policeman said to the other. "'They can send her home from there.' "'No, you won't do anything of the kind,' said a commanding voice. Though the judge was panting from his climb up the stairs, and his shoulders were powdered with snow, he entered with the dignity befitting his position. The policemen touched their caps, and the stragglers looked at him respectfully. "'Order a taxi, Murphy,' he said, and in no time Lisbeth found herself on the soft cushions with the judge beside her. "'I'll take her, judge, if you're busy,' said Murphy, his hand on the taxi door. But the judge had forgotten his important case. The little fingers clutching his, the trusting blue eyes, made his old heart leap. "'Thank you, Murphy,' he said, "'but I'll look after her. And, oh, uh, a Merry Christmas, Murphy.' He left the officer bewildered by the unusual kindness in his voice. As they rode along, he pulled out his watch. "'What time did you say your sister would get home?' "'Not much before ten, sir.' "'Then we have time to get something to eat,' said the judge. "'After that, we will call for her.' The rest of the evening was like a dream for the little girl. The magnificent dining room at the great hotel, with flowers and cut glass and silver on the lovely white tables, seemed like something from a wonderful dream. In the taxi once more, the judge ordered the driver to go to Roby's. A crowd of girls was streaming out of the department store as the taxi arrived. As Lisbeth ran toward a slender figure in a threadbare old coat, one of the girls called out, "'Marcella! Marcella Blair! Wait a minute! Lisbeth's here!' Inside the taxi, the judge sat straight up and looked out the window at the sound of that name. "'Marcella Blair! He was Marcellus Blair!' Before Marcella knew what was going on, she was in the taxi with Lisbeth and an excited old gentleman who kept asking questions. "'Who was your father? Where did you get the name Marcella?' "'From my grandfather,' answered the dazed Marcella." He was Marcellus Blair. The judge told her joyfully that he was Marcellus Blair, her grandfather. It was all so unexpected that Lisbeth simply sat speechless, clasping her hands tightly and wondering whether it was really happening. I have a letter from my father to you, sir, explained Marcella shyly. He tried to find you after mother's death, but you were abroad, and then he died, and after that I didn't know what to do. "'But why didn't you hunt me up?' demanded the judge. "'I tried to once,' said Marcella, "'but the city was so big.' "'Oh!' groaned the judge, "'and all this time I have been so lonely.' "'Then Lisbeth tucked her hand into his. "'But you'll never be lonely again, Grandfather.' "'She was right. "'Judge Blair took Marcella and Lisbeth home with him that very night. "'The next day the happy trio invited the McGaffneys over "'to share the feast in the judge's great dining-room.' That night, as the new little family sat by a roaring fire in the library, Lisbeth laid her head on her grandfather's shoulder. "'It was lucky I got locked in, grandfather,' she said, "'or you might not have found us.' But the judge, with one arm around her waist and the other around Marcella, shook his head. "'Don't call it luck, dear,' he said. "'It was God's doing.'" The story you have heard today is from Guide's Greatest Christmas Stories, a compilation from various writers for Guide Magazine, edited by Helen Lee Robinson and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. As our special gift to you, we will be sharing one of these stories every day between now and Christmas. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 
please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church.